Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. So before we dive in, let me kind of set up our time for us this morning. It was a couple of weeks ago that our staff was in an uproar. Uh, Josh Wilhide, our men's director, had bought a dozen donuts and placed them on his desk where they remained all day. Now, at the end of the day, uh, that dozen had whittled down to nine. Three were missing. So he took a picture of that and he put it on our staff chat, asking for the guilty party to come forth. Now, people began to kind of wildly speculate over who could have taken said donuts. And then they realized there was a security camera directly above his desk. So they pulled the footage and this is what they found. Now that could be anyone. (laughs) Okay, it's me. This is the most incriminating photo I think that's ever been taken of me, which I guess is a good thing. But literally once this photo was released, I had no shot defending myself, okay? There was a high call to not take said donuts, but this was not a safe place afterwards, okay? Because all of a sudden our staff started roasting me. Now it didn't matter that donuts are typically considered fair game in our office space. It didn't matter that I thought in the goodness of my heart that these were just left over from the morning and they're Max's donuts. And so I didn't want them to go to waste. If there were any other donuts, they could have gone in the trash. But Max's donuts, no, it's a stewardship issue at that point, right? (laughs) Didn't matter. Did it matter that even later that day, after I saw that these were actually donuts that were meant to be used for a ministry purpose, that I actually returned said donuts in full to my accuser? Didn't matter, didn't matter. Our staff came after me with a level of intensity that would shock you, all right? I mean, their words were sharper than any two-edged sword. They were cutting me left and right. I mean, one was even quoting Levitical law about how I should make amends. Jeff, (laughs) but no creature was hidden from the sight of our security cameras and our staff, strong words against me, all right? Now, why do I mention that to you? Well, it's one thing to, let's just call it borrow some donuts and then to be caught in that act and then have to give an account before your staff. It's another thing that say, if you're caught in a lie before say your parents, or roommate or a friend. It's another thing if you're caught in a crime before a judge. It is entirely different matter if you're caught with your sin before an almighty God. That if you were to follow my life, a 24 seven security camera of my life throughout the course of my life, I could show you pictures after picture after picture. And let me tell you, it wouldn't be funny. There's things in my life that I just go, man, that was not in line with God and his word. And man, left unchecked, I could become ashamed of that, feel guilty over it, feel self-condemned over it. And yet scripture teaches there's coming a moment in which we have to stand before this God and give an account for how we lived and how we stewarded our lives. Even as specific as a careless word that was spoken. And we have to give an account for those things. And there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. 
God has full vantage point, not of one moment, but of your entire life. And that entire life is put before God, who is our judge. And he sees us and there's no excuses as we stand before the objective reality that is God. There is coming of moment. There is coming what the scriptures will call the day. It's such an important day that it gets a title. It is the day that we stand before God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we using today? Are we living today, preparing for the day? Because we will stand before an almighty God giving an account for how we lived and how we stewarded our lives. And so are we living today, preparing for the day? Because what God wants for you is to experience the fullness of life both now and forever, that you would take each and every day and steward what God's given you so that when that day comes and you stand before an almighty God and give an account before him, you would hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. What I've given you, you have returned and you have been a steward of my graces towards you. God wants your eternity to be amazing. And so we've been moving through the book of Hebrews and we've been seeing just how great and how glorious our God is. And what we've been doing over these last couple of weeks is actually one moment, one movement, one thought that's been broken into a couple of parts. Remember, this is one sermon given by one guy. The entire book of Hebrews was a sermon. And so these last couple of weeks have been really just one idea. And if you've been following with us, what you've been seeing is that God has called his people out of Egypt through Moses and they were meant to be brought into this promised land, this land of milk and honey, this substance and sweetness. And yet they get to the very cusp of the promised land and they look in and instead of fearing the Lord, they fear man. And they begin to walk in insecurity and fear and doubt and not trusting in this living God. And so they missed out on the fullness that God had for them in this life. And so they were sentenced to wander the wilderness for 40 years, missing out on the fullness of what God has for us. And what we said last week is that God's heart is to bring us into this rest, this promised land. And we said that rest is experiencing the fullness of what God has for us both now and forever that the heart of God is to bring you into a rest, a fullness of life, both now and forever. And if you were with us last week, we focused pretty heavily on the now because that's what the passage is doing. In fact, five times the word keeps coming up today, 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 today. There is this overwhelming emphasis that God wants you to enter into moment by moment, day by day, today, the fullness of what he has for you in this life. And yet this life is leading somewhere. Today is leading to an ultimate day in which we will stand before God and give an account for how we stewarded today and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And so what we see in our passage this morning is how much God wants us to use today to prepare for the day. That he wants us to enter into the fullness of life, yes, now, but also forever. And so we're looking at Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, and this is not a standalone sermon. None of these are. This isn't a standalone passage. All of this is connected. And what Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 is, is it's crescendoing everything we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks, that God wants you to bring you into this ultimate rest, both now, but also forever. 
And so if last week was about God entering us into rest now, this week is about the forever and how specifically the word of God impacts our eternity with God. That we'll see today that the word of God prepares us for eternity with God. That's what our passage is all about. Now you might've read this passage before, especially verse 12 and kind of think, hey, this is all about just how amazing the Bible is. And that's true. But this is in the context of the moment that we stand before God and give an account for our lives. And so we're gonna see this morning how the word of God prepares us for an eternity with God because heaven will actually be different for all of us with how we steward our lives down here. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, wants to make your eternity incredible, incredible. And so let's dive in to see how the word of God prepares us for eternity with God. Our passage begins by saying this in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Now the very first word in this is the word for, which means that it's pointing back, it's connecting to every single thing thus far. And so God has been telling his people, hey, enter into my rest, rest in me, have faith in me, trust in me so that you can experience the fullness of life now and yes, forever. And so right here, we're given the means by which we can understand how do we enter into that life? And it's the word of God that we would walk in a faith towards God and faith in what God tells us in the word of God. Now that word, the word of God shows up 329 times in your Bible, the word of God or the word of the Lord. And sometimes that means the Bible, the scriptures. And sometimes that means just the things that God is speaking and communicating. And sometimes that literally just means Jesus, the word of God. But what all of those have in common is simply this, that this is what God wants to communicate to us. This is what's coming from God in our context in Hebrews. The people of God had received the word of God, but they rejected it. And what God is calling us to do is to see the word of God and not reject it, but to receive it, to read it, to respond to it. Because this word of God is coming from the living God. And because it's coming from the living God, it says it's living and it's active. The word of God is alive. Now, what does that mean? Well, simply put, this book is unlike any other book. It's supernatural. You see, every other book, every other podcast, every other theological this, that, and the other, every other thing that comes from man can speak to your life. But this right here, the word of God speaks to your soul. You see, as you read it, it begins to read you and it begins to expose parts of you that's pleasing to God and things that aren't. It actually rewires the way that you think about God, about yourself, about the world around you and it empowers you to then go forth in this life in a way that honors and pleases God. This book is objectively different. It is living, it is active because it's coming from a living God. As you read it, it reads you, but also you're engaging not with just some words on the page, but with a relationship with the living God. Because on the other end of this conversation is a God who loves you, cares for you, and wants you to have life and life abundantly. And so this book is living and active. And as you explore it, you begin to see that yes, it is living and active because what it does to you is it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. It cuts you in a way that nothing else can to the very depths of who you are past the facade and into your heart. 
And that can sound intense because it is. But this word, two-edged sword, in, that, in their culture, in that context, that was not meant to imply like a battle ax meant to come and do harm, but rather like a surgeon's scalpel meant to cut precisely, not to do harm, but to heal. It literally has the connotation of like a fillet knife. And for you cooks in here, you know a fillet knife can get into the very crevices of where you wanna go and cut out what needs to be there while leaving everything else untouched. This is not meant to bring you harm, it's meant to heal you. And I saw that really first time in my life in college. I'd come to Christ in seventh grade and, and I was like, okay, I guess I wait for eternity. I got this Jesus in me and I guess I just go and do whatever I want from there. And I really didn't understand what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus. And so it wasn't until college that I really began to take my walk with Jesus seriously. Like God got more a hold of me in college. And I began to realize, man, I was not submitting my life to who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And then all of a sudden in college, God began to kind of wake me up to that. And what's interesting is the very first thing I did was I started to like listen over and over to like a bunch of podcasts and read a bunch of theological books. And I was getting all this head information, but my heart wasn't changing. Because though I was getting all this information about God, I was lacking intimacy with God because I wasn't engaging with God through his word. I was listening to what other people had to say about him. That sound familiar for anyone else in here? And what was happening in me was a surprise in me because I was learning all this amazing things about God, but what I didn't know because I wasn't reading the word of God was that knowledge puffs up, can make you arrogant can make you prideful. And that's exactly what was happening to me. I became what many theologians would call a jerk face. I was mean, I was arrogant. I used Bible knowledge to kind of Bible thump people. And I just thought I was better than everyone because I knew some isms. And by God's grace, one morning I picked up the word of God. And I began to read it and it began to read me and God brought me to 1 John, I'll never forget it. 1 John, I read the entire thing, five chapters. And in five chapters, the word love is mentioned 46 times. And I began to realize that I had all this information but it wasn't affecting my heart and it wasn't impacting my hands because the goal of our instruction according to 1 Timothy is love, it's love. And by God's grace, I just sat there and I don't know how it works exactly, but I was in the word of God, praying to the God of the word, with the spirit of God within me. And all of a sudden God just so sweetly was like, hey, Derek, you're not loving people. You're not loving people. And I had to repent and I had to go and seek forgiveness and amends towards some people that I had really poorly represented God to. And since then I can count a thousand times that the word of God has cut me. Sometimes it's been big things, like my battle in college with depression, or my battle later with anxiety and fear and control. Sometimes it's been small things, just like my tone in a meeting, or those moments where you know, you're like upset with someone and instead of going and talking with them, you just have that fictional conversation in your head where you're always saying the right thing and they're always crumbling even upon himself going, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, God would cut that and go, Derek, you're harboring anger. Sometimes it was big, sometimes it was small, but every single time, I'll tell you what, it was healing, it was healing. You see, the Bible doesn't just give us a list of do's and don'ts to go and be better Christians. 
But as we read it, it reads us and it actually makes us a certain type of people who begin to love what God loves, hates what God hates, and begins to live a life that's marked by a deep love of God and a deep love for other people. And it does it when it cuts us, but not to harm us, to heal us. And this is hard for a lot of us because it's easy to stay on the surface. I think it's why a lot of us just numb our lives out by the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So I think we're terrified to be exposed before God that knows us in and out. And yet it's a God who loves us that will cut us this way. These cuts go deep because God wants to go to the very heart of who you are. He's not satisfied with staying on the surface. He wants to go deeper. That's why the verse says that it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word doesn't stay on the surface. It cuts past all of that into the very heart where your true self lives. All of us, there's nobody in your life that actually knows you past what you show them. And yet God knows you deeper than you know yourself. Everyone in your life can look at your exterior actions, but God looks deeper. He looks at the interior motivation of the heart. And that's true now as we sit between the word of God and we let it read us and it begins to expose maybe even some ugly things within us, but that's a good thing because God is cutting away parts of our lives that don't need to be there and it's freeing and it's healing. And here's the tragic reality is so many of us can fake it. And what should scare many of us is we can do all the right things externally, but never have an internal connection with the God who loves you and cares about you. And if you fake it throughout your entire life, there comes a moment where you will be fully exposed and it will be a terrifying moment. One of the scariest verses in your Bible comes from the lips of Jesus that says in Matthew 7, that the day in which you stand before God, not everyone will say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, hey, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do these mighty works in your name? Didn't we go to church in your name? Didn't we go to Awanas in your name? Didn't we like memorize all those verses and get that golden star in your name? Didn't we do all this exterior? And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. You did all the religion, but you had no relationship with me. So depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. God is not after behavior modification. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. And so here's the reality. You can fake it. I can fake it. Right here, right now, all of us can be. We can come to church, we can serve, we can graduate every Bible study, every recovery ministry we have with a golden sticker check plus. We can. You can do that all the while having no genuine relationship with God. But when you stand before God, all of that is exposed down to the very motive. And this is why the word of God is so important. It's not simply there to give you warm fuzzies. It's not meant to be flipped through because that's the assignment of the week or it's not meant to be flipped through because that's what good Christians do, but rather it's meant to be lingered upon, meditated upon, 
as you engage, not just with the word of God, but the God of the word, you let it affect your heart and let it impact your hands. You let it not just read you, but read your very soul. You let the word of God point you to the God of the word. This is why we need the word of God today. And it is the height of insanity when we ignore it. Because God so wants you to experience life and life abundantly that he has written down a recorded record of his love for you and his intentions for you and his heart for you and how to have access to him and how to have life and life abundantly in him as we listen to him and as we obey him, as we live a life full of joy and peace and satisfaction. And so it's the height of insanity when community groups have to convince members of community groups to read their Bible. So I think a lot of us don't see it this way. We don't see it as living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and preparing us for an eternal moment in which we stand before God and we have to give an account before God. And so we use today to prepare our hearts, yes, for today, but also the day in which the deepest levels of our hearts are gonna be exposed before a living God who's given us his living word. Do you see the word of God that way? How do you see the word of God? Because the psalmist saw it this way, that the law of the Lord is perfect, Psalm 19, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This is both exposing your heart, but it's what your heart needs. He continues by saying, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. Righteousness altogether, more to be desired than they are of gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, than the droplets of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Who can do that? Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of the great transgressions. That's what the word of God is. That's what the word of God does. The word of God prepares you for today, but it also prepares you for the day in which we stand before God and we're fully exposed before him. And that's actually what this passage is all about. The passage continues by saying that there's no creature hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. We so often read this first verse kind of standalone, isolated, but it's in the context of a coming day in which we stand before an almighty God and nobody can avoid this moment. You have a meeting scheduled with God in which he knows the hour, the minute, the millisecond, and you don't but he has given us today to get ready for that day. And it says in that moment that no creature is hidden from his sight. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You have a one-on-one -on -one with God, but all are naked and exposed before him. That, that, that imagery is meant to give us this like picture of helplessness, of vulnerability, of inability to hide, standing before your maker, so let me ask you, what would it be like to stand before God with all of your sins fully exposed? Everything you've ever done, 
everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought. You see, the reality of it is, if you have not come to trust in Christ, this is what that day will be like, in which you have to give an account for every single sin, and you will be found guilty. But the good news is God loves you. And there's a way to pay for your sins for all of eternity in which his wrath will fall on you every single day for all of eternity, but God has made another way. You see, what would it feel like, what would it look like to have all of your sin exposed? The good news is that if you have trusted in Christ, that moment has already happened. You see, what happened on the cross was God took all of our sin and he who knew no sin actually became sin. And in that moment, when Jesus was our sin, God took the wrath that we deserved for our sin and he punished Jesus on our behalf. Jesus tasted hell so that we might taste heaven. And it's in this moment that when we trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, then all of a sudden when God sees us, he doesn't see a list of sins, but he sees the cross. He sees his son, he sees his perfect record, not of you, but of Jesus Christ, his righteous only son. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That when we trust in Christ, he gets all of our sin and we get all of his right standing. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is then obvious, then what does it mean that we have to give an account? If all my sin is taken care of, then what does that moment look like? What is that moment gonna be like? Well, there's two things that we need to understand as believers that God has shown us in his word about what that moment will be like because this word must give an account shows up all over your Bible. This moment is happening for you. So there's two things we really need to know about this moment. The first is that there are greater rewards awaiting those who live their lives according to the word of God. There are greater rewards that await those who live their lives according to the word of God. It's a mystery, but there's something about how we live our life down here that will impact our eternity as believers in Christ. Jesus says this exact thing in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 in the context of judgment and talking about judgment day in which we will stand before God. Jesus goes, you know what it's like? It's like a master who owns all this land and then he grabs three of his servants and he goes, hey, I'm gonna give you five talents, things that you need to steward for my name and glory. Then I'm gonna give you two talents. Then I'm gonna give you one. And I'm gonna leave. And then I'm gonna come back. I wanna see what you've done with the talents and the gifts that I've given you. Have you used them to make much of me or have you done nothing with them or used them to make much of yourself? It says the master comes back and for those that have stewarded their lives and the talents that the master has given them, Jesus says, his master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's a mystery. 
but there is something about how we live our lives down here that will impact us entering into the joy of the master. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about how you steward your life. And there are greater rewards awaiting those who live their life according to the word of God. The second thing we need to know about that moment is that the word of God prepares you to give an account before God. That's what this whole passage is about. Now, how do I know that? Well, because this passage begins with the word of God and it ends with that we must give an account. Now, what's interesting is this phrase, word of God and give an account. The word word and account are actually the same word. It's the word logos. It means the word. So what does that mean? Well, it's almost like God has given us his word and says, hey, I want you to read it. I want you to reflect upon it. I want you to respond to it. I want you to live your life marked by a trust and an obedience to me through the word of God. And I want to give you the word of God that's living, that's active, because guess what? One day you're gonna have to give a word back to me. And I want your word that you say back to me to be in line and to match the very word I gave to you. That you would love the things I love. You would hate the things I hate. And you would live a life that's marked by a deep trust in the word of God, yes, because it points to the God of the word. So what does this all mean for us? Because there's a question I'm sure all of you are asking, which is what is that moment gonna be like? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 gives us the best glimpse of it. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, things that will last, or wood, hay, straw, things that won't, each one's work will become manifested for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive what? A reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. This is not about salvation. This is about eternal rewards, but only as one through fire. And so what does this all mean for us? Well, I want you to imagine that this is your life. This represents your life. If you have come to know Christ, that means that there's coming a moment where you you will stand before God and eternity is waiting for you. God loves to reward your faith with eternity with Christ. Romans 8.30 says that he who is justified will be glorified. Philippians 1.16, 6 says that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. There's overwhelming reality that when you have come to trust in Christ, you stand before God, that you will enter into eternity with God. But God who loves to reward your faith in Christ also loves to reward your faithfulness to Christ. And throughout our lives as believers, we're given opportunities every single day to live out faithfulness to Christ. We're given each and every one of us time, time. And we can use that time to make much of us 
and to go after our own selfishness and our own agenda, or we can use that time to make much of God and who he is and what he's done. We've been given certain talents and we can use these talents to kind of make our lives more comfortable or make our lives more whatever, make our lives more selfish and kind of focus in on us. Or we can use the gifts and the talents that God has given us because God has given each and every one of you gifts and talents. And scripture is abundantly clear that we're meant to use those gifts and use those talents, what? To build up the body of Christ. And when we do that, then all of a sudden we're using what God has given us in a way that glorifies and honors God as we love people. All of us have been given treasure, some more than others, some less than others, but all of us have been given treasures. And that could be money, that could be a house, that could be your possessions, that could be a number of things, but we've been given treasures. And one of the great sins of mankind is that what was meant to radiate out of us, which was love towards other people, has curled in upon ourselves. And if you want to kind of gut check you on that, look at your bank account. And how often do we use our treasures to kind of hold on and to hoard, except for instead of giving them out to the glory of God and others? that we can bless others in how we steward our life. And throughout our lives, we're given opportunities to continue on using our time to love and bless others, using our treasure to pour ourselves out to benefit others and not just terminate on ourselves. We've been given different talents that we can go and steward in a way that brings honor and glory to God. This is why the word of God is so important because it tells us how do we steward these moments that even doing something as small as giving somebody a glass of water in the name of Christ will not be forgotten. This is why studying the word of God is so important. This is why community is so important because community, community can look at you and maybe how you're spending your time, your talents, your treasures, and can go, hey, I see you really want this and I get that. Like that's what my heart wants too, but is that about the glory of God or is that just about yourself? And community can help sharpen as they point you to the word of God because here's reality. We are building our lives on the foundation of Christ and there's coming a moment that we stand before God and there's a way in which we can live our life to bring glory to God and honor to God so that a certain point comes that God would reward these things but there's also another way to live life. Even as a believer, and you can live your life and you can use your time, not for the glory of God, but just for yourself. You can use your treasures just to kind of get your own. You can use your talents just to kind of make much of you, even if you use them within the context of a church. We have ways by which we live lives and what scripture tells us is there's coming a moment which we stand before God and salvation is secure because of faith in Jesus Christ, but God loves to reward your faithfulness to him. And there comes a moment, as Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for us to die. And then after that comes judgment. And we stand before God who is called a consuming fire. And when that happens, God will then burn up every single thing that is not in line with him. And all the things that we spent so much of our life thinking, man, I got this full life. 
I've done all the things I need to do. I've, I, I've went everywhere I w- wanted to go. Gone. The praise of man that we so desperately seek, gone. Everything that we've spent so much of our life, gone. And yet God so loves us that if you're here today, that means you have today to steward what God's given you. And God wants to you for you to steward every single thing that you have for his name and his glory so that throughout your entire life, you keep building on this and you sharpen your community group members who aren't thinking clearly in the moment because that new this, that new that looks really enticing. But you keep at it every single day throughout the rest of your life. And the goal of the believer is to pour their life out for the glory of God so that when we stand before an Almighty, he would look at us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were entrusted with little, little time, little talents, little treasures. Well done. Now enter into the joy of the Master. God loves to reward your faith in him with salvation with him. But he also loves to reward your faithfulness to him with eternal rewards. And the word of God is what positions us to know what does my God love? How does God want me to spend my time, my talents, my treasures? It's in the word of God. He's not hiding it from you the way we try to hide from him. He has abundantly, clearly declared, this is what you do today. And so City Bridge, how do you use today to get ready for that day? Are you using today to prepare for that day? That day is in many ways a mystery but there's one thing we know fully is that when we stand before an almighty God, we won't be alone because the very next verse says that we have such a great high priest who is with us. And so we hold fast to our confession to him and we spend every single day getting ready for that day. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.